Chapter Eight of Riceman's Steps by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. The Carving Knife. The two women were working together in a living room over the shop. An oil lamp had been hung on a hook which would have held a curtain loop had there been any curtains. The lamp, tilted slightly forward, had a round sheltered reflector behind it. Thus a portion of the lower part of the room was brilliantly lighted and all the rest of the room in shadow. Elsie was scrubbing the floor in the full glare of the reflector. She scrubbed placidly and honestly, with no eagerness but with no sign of fatigue. Mrs. Arb sat in the fireplace with her feet upraised out of the damp on the rail of a chair and cleaned the mantelpiece. She had worked side by side with Elsie through the evening, silent sometimes, vivaciously chatty sometimes, desirous generally of collecting useful pieces of local information. Inevitably a sort of community had established itself between the two women. Mrs. Arb would talk freely and yet give nothing but comment. Elsie talked little and yet gave many interesting facts. "'Let me see,' said Mrs. Arb with a casual air. "'It's that Mr. Earlford you say you work for in the mornings, isn't it?' "'But I told you I did when you sent me in about the book, ma'am, "'and I told you before that, too,' Elsie answered, surprised at such forgetfulness. "'Oh, of course you did. Well, does he live all alone?' "'Oh, yes, ma'am. And what sort of gentleman is he?' Elsie, instinctively loyal, grew cautious. "'He's a very nice gentleman, ma'am.' "'Treats you well, does he?' "'Well, of course, ma'am, he has his ways, but he's always very nice.' "'Nice and polite, eh?' "'Yes, ma'am, and I'll say this too. "'He never tries to take any liberties. "'No, that he doesn't.' "'And so he has his ways. "'Is he eccentric?' "'Oh, no, ma'am. "'At least I don't know what you mean, ma'am. "'I'm sure I don't. "'He's very particular in some things, "'but then in plenty of things he takes no notice of you, "'and you can do it or leave it as you choose.' Elsie suspected, and mildly resented, a mere inquisitiveness on the part of Mrs. Arb, and added quickly, "'I think this floor's about done.' She wrung a cloth out in the pail at her right hand. The clock below struck its quick, wiry, reverberating note. It kept on striking. "'That's never eleven o'clock!' Mrs. Arb exclaimed, completely aware that it was eleven o'clock. How time flies when you're hard at it, doesn't it? Elsie silently disagreed with this proposition. In her experience of toil, she had found that time lagged. Well, Elsie, I'm sure I'm much obliged to you. I can finish myself. Don't you stay a minute longer? No, ma'am, said Elsie, who had exchanged three hours overtime for sixpence and a slice of ham. At this moment, and before Elsie had raised her damp knees from the damp floor, a very sharp and imperious tapping was heard. "'My gracious! Who's that?' "'It's the shop door,' said Elsie. "'I'll go.' Mrs. Arb decided the procedure quite cheerfully. She was cheerful because the living room, with other rooms, was done, and in a condition fit to be seen by possible purchasers of her premises and business.' She had no intention to live in the living room herself. And also she was cheerful because of a wild and silly, 
and yet not wholly silly idea that the rapping at the shop door came from Mr. Earl Forward, who had made for himself some absurd man-like excuse for calling again that night. She had, even thus early, her notions about Mr. Earl Forward. The undying girl in her ran downstairs with a candle and unlocked the shop door. As she opened it, a man pushed forward roughly into the shop. Not Mr. Earl Forward. A young man with a dangerous look in his burning eyes and gestures indicating dark excitement. "'What do you want?' she demanded, trying to control the situation firmly and not succeeding. The young man glanced at her. She perceived that he carried a torn umbrella and that his clothes were very wet. She heard the heavy rain outside. "'You can't come in here at this time of night,' she added. "'The shop's closed.' She gave a sign for him to depart. She actually began to force him out, mere temerity on her part. She thought, "'Why am I doing this? He might attack me.' Instead of departing, the young man dropped his umbrella and sprang for the big carving-knife which she had left on the counter after cutting the slice of ham for Elsie. In that instant Mrs. Arb decided absolutely, and without any further vacillation, that she would sell the place, sell it at once, and for what it would fetch. Already she had been a little alarmed by the sinister aspect of several of her customers. She remembered the great Clerkenwell murder, she saw how foolish she had been ever to come to Clerkenwell at all. The man waved the carving-knife over his head and hers. "'Where's Elsie?' he growled savagely, murderously. Mrs. Arb began dimly to understand. "'This comes of taking charwomen you don't know,' she said pathetically to herself, "'and yet I could have sworn by that girl.' Then a strong light shone in the doorway leading to the back room. Elsie stood there, holding the wall-lamp in her hand. As soon as he caught sight of her, the man, still brandishing the knife, ran desperately towards her. She hesitated and then retreated a little. The man plunged into the room and banged the door. After that Mrs. Arb heard not a sound. She was nonplussed, helpless and panic-stricken. Ah, if the late Mr. Arb had been alive, how he would have handled the affair. Not by force, for he had never been physically strong, but by skill, by adroitness, by rapid chicane. Only she could not imagine precisely what the late Mr. Arb would have done in his unique and powerful sagacity. She was overwhelmed by a sudden and final sense of the folly, the tragedy of solitary existence for a woman like her. She had wisdom, energy, initiative, moral strength. But there were things that women could do and things that women could not do. And a woman who was used to a man needed a man for all sorts of purposes, and she resolved passionately that she would not live alone another day longer than she could help. This resolve, however, did not mitigate her loneliness in the candle-lit shop, with the shut door in front of her hiding dreadful matters, and the rain pelting on the flagstones of Riceman's steps. She looked timidly forth. A policeman might, by heaven's mercy, be passing. If not, she must run in the wet as she was to the police station. 
She then noticed a faint light in Mr. Earl Forward's shop and dashed across. Through the window she could see Mr. Earl Forward walking in his shop with a candle in his hand. She tattooed wildly on the window. A tram-car thundered down King's Cross Road, tremendously heedless of murders. After a brief, terrible interval, the lock of Mr. Earl Forward's portal grated, and Mr. Earl Forward appeared blandly in the doorway, holding the candle. "'Oh, Mr. Earl Forward!' she cried, and stepped within, and clutched his sleeve, and told him what had occurred. And as she poured out the words, and Mr. Earl Forward kept apparently all his self-possession and bland calm, an exquisite and intense feeling of relief filled her whole being. "'I'll come over,' said Mr. Earl Forward. "'Rather wet, isn't it?' He cut a fine figure in the eyes of Mrs. Arb. He owed his prestige at that moment, however, not to any real ability to decide immediately and courageously upon the right, effective course to follow, but to the simple fact that his reactions were very slow. Mr. Earl Forward was always afraid after the event. He limped vigorously into the dangers of Mrs. Arb's dwelling, with his placidity undisturbed by the realisation of those dangers and he had no conception of what he should do. Mrs. Arb followed timorously. The door into Mrs. Arb's back room was now wide open. The lamp near the carving knife burnt on the white table there. Also the candle was still burning in the shop, but the umbrella had vanished from the shop floor. The back room was empty. No symptom of murder, nor even of a struggle. Only the brief faint rumble of an underground train could be heard and felt in the silence. Perhaps he's chased her upstairs. I'll go and see. Anyhow, he's left the knife behind him. Mr. Earl Forward picked up the carving knife and thereby further impressed Mrs. Arb. Take the lamp, said Mrs. Arb. Nobody up here, he called from the first floor. Mrs. Arb ascended. Together they looked into each room. "'She's taken her jacket!' exclaimed Mrs. Arb, noticing the empty peg behind the door when they came down again to the back room. "'Ah, that's better,' Mr. Earlford commented, expelling breath. "'I left my candle lighted,' he said a moment later. "'I'll go and blow it out.' "'But, oh, I'm coming back, I'm coming back.' While he was gone, Mrs. Arb had a momentary lapse into terror. Suppose... She glimpsed again the savage and primeval passion half-disclosed in the gestures and the glance of the young man, hints of forces uncontrollable, terrific and fatal. "'I expect he's that young fellow that's running after her,' said Mr. Earl Forward when he returned. "'Seems he'd had shell-shock, so I heard.' She'll have to leave him alone, that's clear. He was glad to think that he had found a new argument to help him to persuade Elsie not to desert him. She seemed to be so respectable, observed Mrs. Arb. Well, she is. Poor girl, sighed Mrs. Arb. She felt a genuine perturbing compassion for Elsie. Ought I to go and tell the police, Mr. Earlforward? "'If I were you, I shouldn't have the police meddling. "'It's all right. "'Well, anyhow, I can't pass the night here by myself, 
No, I can't, and that's flat. She smiled almost comically. You go off to bed, said Mr. Earl Forward, with a magnificent wave of the hand. I'll make myself comfortable in this rocking chair. I'll stop till daylight. Mrs. Arbs said that she couldn't think of such a thing, and that he was too kind. He mastered her. Then she said she would put a bit of coal on the fire. You needn't. He stopped her. I'll go across and get my overcoat and a quilt and look up there. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. He reappeared with his overcoat on and the quilt a little rain-spotted. Mrs. Arb was wearing a long, thick mantle. What's this? he asked. What's the meaning of this? I couldn't leave you to sit up by yourself. I couldn't really. I'm going to sit up too. End of chapter 8